Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include interest rate risk, my interview with PHH's Sabrina Dean Bass on why a commercial slash business purpose loan servicer matters, and we're not near the Fed's magic 2% inflation target. Buckle up, mortgage legends. It's Ricky Bobby. Hey, mark your calendars March 18th for the third annual supercar experience in Vegas. Powered by Lender Toolkit, Regora, Lone Star, Lenders One, Truth, and Mortgage Advisor Tools. Hey, we're taking over Speed Vegas Exotics Racing, where you'll unleash your inner speed demon in supercars and network like a champ. Hey, think Ferraris, Lambos, and Connections. Forge nearly as fast as Lender Toolkit's AI-powered mortgage automation as a service platform. Woo! Yeah, you heard that right. This ain't just about racetrack adrenaline. Heck no. It's fueling your experience prep with fancy grub and more networking gold than Fort Knox. Woo! Hey, don't be a shake and bake loser. Secure your spot now by heading over to LenderToolkit.com events. Because guess what? As always, if you ain't first, you're last. Woo! Anyone hedging a pipeline against interest rate risk pays attention to which security to use. After all, you don't want to hedge a pipeline of Freddie and Fannie loans with Ginnie Mae securities. That creates basis risk. Nor do you want to hedge a pipeline of 7% loans with a 5% security, since they don't have the same price movements. Traders have told me that a 5.5% coupon remains the hedging instrument of choice, being very liquid, although there is certainly a sizable percentage of 6% coupon securities being used, as these are more relevant for 7% loans. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Sabrina Dean Bass, Director of Commercial Enterprise Sales at PHH. Sabrina's been with PHH for over 20 years and currently oversees commercial enterprise sales. In this capacity, she connects PHH's full-service commercial servicing team with organizations in order to improve the performance and profit margins of the organization's investment properties. Today, we're talking about why a commercial or business purpose loan servicer matters, and I'm excited to be catching up with you after we met face-to-face in New Orleans. So I want to start by talking about PHH a little bit. PHH is predominantly known as a Fannie Freddie residential subservicer, but PHH has also been in the commercial space for over 25 years, which not many people may know. And so let's start there. Why is it so important to have a servicer who doesn't throw these loans in with the residential portfolio? We saw a shift around eight, nine years ago with investor activity. It significantly increased in the single family rental space. So PHH's commercial book, it was largely made up of multifamily retail uh, mixed use properties. It's shifted. Today, about half of that book is made up of one to four family residential investment properties. Many people, they look at a one-to-four family investment property and they'll say, hey, there's not much difference other than occupancy, right? One's rented, the other is owner-occupied. That may be the case as long as the loan's performing. However, as soon as that loan defaults, that's where your subservicer really makes the difference. I can think of five key reasons. Um, One is defaults are managed differently. 
Default interest provisions should be implemented. Um, PHH collects millions in default interest for our commercial clients each year. Two, if your loan has guarantors or is cross-collateralized or has cross-default language, your servicer should understand what this means and be servicing in accordance with the loan docs. Um, Are they demanding guarantors? Going to the guarantors to step up and bring the loan current. Number three, foreclosure actions. So unlike a residential loan, you can dual track foreclosure actions. Um, What that means is that you don't have to put the foreclosure on hold when you're reviewing for loss mitigation. So you're able to complete the foreclosure in a shorter period of time than you would a residential loan, which really cuts down on your carrying costs. Number four, foreclosure attorneys. Is your servicer using foreclosure attorneys who are versed in commercial foreclosure actions? Your attorney should know that mediations are not required in most states on investment loans. Um, They should be filing in order to show calls in states like Florida. It can shave off months off the foreclosure timeline. Um, They should be including any cross-collateralized, cross-default properties in the foreclosure action. So all of these things expedite the foreclosure and save you money. Um, The last one, number five, is payoffs. Payoffs should be carefully reviewed on defaulted loans to ensure all default interest is captured. And if you have prepayment penalties, um, which most of you do, that it's being accounted for. And so let's talk about people upgrading their subservicer here. I think it's, it's been a common thing in the mortgage industry for people to hate on their subservicer, but subservicers have made leaps and bounds in terms of what they offer and their customer support, customer service. You know, they're making clients a lot happier. So in your opinion, at least, what are a few reasons that commercial MSR owners are looking to upgrading with their subservicer and what should they be looking for when doing so? Yeah. So in this environment, um, you know, there's not a lot of other places to cut. Um, I think we're going to start seeing folks looking for ways to boost revenue. Um, And one of the things that most people don't think about is upgrading their subservicer. Moving subservicers, it's it's an easy way for originators and MSR investors. They can literally recognize hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars um, of savings just by switching. So I'll give you a few things that anyone owning an MSR should be looking for or asking a potential commercial subservicer. Does your servicer have a dedicated commercial business purpose loan team? Do they have expertise in the product? Are they rated? Uh, Most people, like you said, they don't know that PHH has been doing this sort of servicing for over 25 years. Number two, does your servicer offer recapture services? You know, I don't think there's enough emphasis put around recapture. How do they help you keep your customers coming back for their next loan? This is especially important in this space. Um, We have, you know, some of our customers have borrowers who have 5, 10, 20 loans with their originator. We've put processes, marketing, and tech in place to make sure those borrowers come back to our clients for the next loan. Number three, is the servicer a good cultural fit? Or are they, I guess, what we call the one-size-fits-all subservicer? So as a subservicer, we really have to be an extension of our clients. We take care of the borrowers. We have to promote their brand. You know, behind their people, an originator's number one asset is their MSR book. So we take that very seriously. We have to do everything possible to protect that asset and how we service those loans. Um, you know, there's a lot of service subservices, 
who are just vendors. Um, and, and that might be fine for some originators. You really just have to find the one that is the best cultural fit for your team. Are they able to manage business purpose loans properly? Are they collecting the default interest? Um, is the default interest being captured in the monthly billing statements and the payoffs? Are they correct, correctly calculating prepayment penalty fees? Um, I think we're going to see delinquencies rise. It may not be this year, but it's. I think it's coming and having the right service or in place is key to boosting revenue and protecting your assets. Number five is customer service. Are they measuring things like average speed of answer, abandonment rate, default management effectiveness? Reducing defaults by one to two percent can really add up. So are they measuring these things and keeping servicers like us accountable for keeping borrowers satisfied? Maybe most importantly, do they have the tools and tech to be 100% transparent with the work they're doing? This kind of this kind of flows into number six, which is sort of on point with what you said in the beginning. Subservices have created a ton of new technology to interact with borrowers. Um, billing statements. They're branded with loan officers' information, the pictures to get their next refi, borrower portals. So the borrower can log through the web and see personalized banner ads. You know, someone who has a maturity date in the next six to 12 months, we can personalize a banner ad to remind them of that. There are chatbots. Um, you know, do they have a mobile app for their borrowers so they can communicate through their phone? Personalized welcome videos, um, escrow analysis videos that explain to the borrowers, um, you know, who their new servicer is, how, where to send their payment, how to get set up on ACH. Escrow analysis videos, they explain to the borrowers their analysis and why their payment may be going up. You know, I think there's a massive movement towards self-service. Um, we find most borrowers would rather use chatbot or text than make a phone call any day. Um, and Last on the list, and probably the most important, is cost savings. Servicers are always going to compete on cost, and you not only have to look at the nickel and dime charges to get a true comparison, which isn't easy um, with all the different structures that are out there, but you have to really look beyond fees. Um, you know, I, I want to say it costs nothing to talk to a few subservicers and do a side by side analysis. If you have the opportunity to save $100,000 or even millions just by switching from in-house subservicing or switching from your subservicer, you know, why wouldn't you take a look at it? Just to see what the market has to offer, there is a lot of options out there. I'll give you one example. We had a client recently where they've had their subservicer in place for 17 years. They never looked at new pricing or a new model. We took a look and we were able to forecast saving them over $2 million in the first year. So it's definitely worth looking at. Um, with the current market conditions, you can only cut so deep in your originationship. And what we're finding is that simply by making a move to someone like PHH, they can save millions in their servicing expenses and generate new recapture revenue. I'm going to disagree with you slightly on one thing. And I'll say throughout this market cycle, it seems like people's servicing book was actually more important than their people. And obviously that's meant to be a little tongue in cheek. You're right. Cash is king. <laughs> exactly. I mean, servicing was incredibly important. It separated companies that were profitable from those that weren't over this last year or two. People don't blow up my DMs. Don't at me about that, but <laughs> I'm calling it like I see it. Anyways, 
I've heard a lot about default interest provisions. They're a big deal, but they're they aren't necessarily implemented by all servicers. Why aren't they? And shouldn't servicers be doing this? Yeah, it's interesting. We talk to a lot of DSCR and business purpose loan clients. Some of them, they aren't including default interest provisions in their loan documents simply because their servicer doesn't have either the technology or the bandwidth to be able to calculate it. Um, we feel the default interest should be included in all commercial DSCR business purpose loan documents. To give you an example, in the past 12 months on a portfolio a little shy of 10,000 loans, PHH collected over $7 million in default interest. It is a real revenue stream. Um, not only is it a revenue stream, we use it as a bargaining tool um, to bring the borrowers to the table. You know, we can waive a portion of the default interest to get them reperforming. It's really effective. And so let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit here. For someone looking to make the switch, how long does it actually take to switch servicers and how much work is involved? Okay, so I'd say from the first call to actually making um, a servicing transfer, it's typically around 120 days. Um, we as the servicer, we do 90% of the work. Now, we still need help from the client, but it's a few hours a week. It's definitely not a full-time job. There's three main steps to the process. One, agree on pricing two contracts, and three is integration, defining what is unique to each client, your company, your customers, your loan officers, how aggressively you want to manage defaults, things like that. Um, I really, I feel like the hardest part for most people is getting started in making the decision. If you can get through that decision, the rest is easy. Um, it's just a matter of finding the subservicer that best fits your business. Any predictions for this year or maybe moving into next year in the commercial servicing space? Yeah, I think we're going to see more consolidation in the market and more people moving to subservicing. Um, we're getting better as an industry. Uh, people are figuring out that it's far more expensive to do it yourself. So I see people all the time with fewer than a thousand loans. They're trying to service in-house. So what I'm hearing from them is they've lost focus on their core business, uh, trying to keep up with the demands of servicing, and they're ready to get back to business, hand the servicing off to the experts that can do it better and can do it cheaper. Um, what I would say to everyone is take advantage of the partners out there, whether that's us or someone else. Very well put. Sabrina, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I think there's a lot of valuable info for people. So. I appreciate you making the time for me and hopefully I'll see you at a conference soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much. The timing of the first Fed rate cut this year is at risk of slipping to the summer. January inflation data came in hotter than expected, with consumer prices rising at a 3.1% annualized rate. While this is a massive improvement from the 9.1% annualized rate inflation peaked at in June 2022, the current rate still means that prices will double roughly every 20 years. And despite declining from a 3.4% rate in December, inflation is not at a level that will give the FOMC the much-desired confidence investors seek to start imminently cutting rates. Fed messaging has been that it needs to see more evidence that core inflation is trending towards the 2% target before rate cuts can occur. The bottom line is that inflation is still alive, which was a bit of a reality check to Wall Street yesterday, as that hotter-than-estimated inflation data pushed the prospect of rate cuts further into the future. 
triggering a fall in both stocks and bonds prices. Core goods prices remained in deflationary territory, but core services inflation came in hot at 0.7%, the largest gain in 16 months. There was a move higher in price growth for owners' equivalent rent, medical care services, and travel services, such as airfares and hotels. Additionally, shelter inflation is rising at a very stubborn 6%, a bit of a mystery since apartment rents are no longer rising. The highlight of today's calendar is FedSpeak, with the presidents of various Federal Reserve districts speaking. Though things kicked off with mortgage applications decreasing 2.3% from one week earlier, according to data from the MBA's weekly mortgage applications survey for the week ending February 9th. The remainder of the economic calendar today consists of FedSpeak, Chicago President Goolsby, Vice Chair for Supervision Barr, and Atlanta President Bostick are all set to deliver remarks. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Tuesday evening, the 10-year yielding 4.30 after closing yesterday at 4.32%, and the 2-year at 4.62%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Well, since it's Valentine's Day, let's continue on the love and Valentine's Day themes. An elderly couple had dinner at another couple's house, and after eating, the wives left the table and went into the kitchen. The two gentlemen were talking, and one said, Last night we went out to a new restaurant, and it was really great. I'd highly recommend it. The other man said, What was the name of the restaurant? The first man thought and thought and finally said, What is the name of that flower that you give to someone you love? You know, the one that's red and has thorns. Do you mean a rose, said the second man. Yes, that's the one, replied the man. He then turned toward the kitchen and yelled, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we went to last night? <laughs> Thanks again to Lender Toolkit and its AI-powered AI underwriter and prism borrower income automation tools. By providing lightning-fast underwriting decisions, your market reputation with borrowers and realtors will soar, which means more repeat and referral business. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.